<laughs> you are listening to the Quarter to Three movie podcast, where this week we will be talking about, and shortly spoiling, but not yet, shortly spoiling a uh, true grit. Uh, that's the service matter. That's, that's, that's In addition, I am joined by Christian McClarsky, I think. Did I get that right? Well, it is not spelled F-U-D-E-L. And also Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand, what is a appropriate True Grit-related tagline for us this week? Looking back is a bad habit. Good. That's, that, was very, yeah. that was a little kind. Minus. <laughs> <laughs> also, not a catchphrase so much, but just like they showed the trailer for that Transformers movie before True Grit. And I get the sense that Michael Bay is under the mistaken impression that us seeing his name on screen reassures and excites us instead of makes us go, oh. Save that for the Transformers Dark of the Moon podcast because there will be one. Yeah. Oh, I just spoiled the trailer, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I watched that trailer. I couldn't care less. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, all right. Uh, let's talk about True Grit. Uh, uh, Christian McClansky, why don't you tell us a little bit about True Grit? What is this thing? All right, this week we watched uh, True Grit, a Western movie directed by the Coen brothers. It's the second adaptation of Charles Porter's novel, and it stars Haley Steinfeld as a girl who hires a U.S. Marshal played by Jeff Bridges to track and bring to justice her father's killer. It is rated PG-13 for some intense sequences of Western violence, including disturbing images for Kelly Wong. Did it really say intense sequences of Western violence? It did not say that, Dingus. You made that up. No, it did. It didn't say anything about smoking, oddly enough, but it was intense images of Western violence. Western violence. Wow. So no, no, shark, no shark violence. Spoiler alert. But Western uh. violence, what does that even mean? I, I think it means violence that takes place in the West. <laughs> that sounds racist. <laughs> Oh, well, Kelly like wants- it's violence, but since it's Western white man violence... Uh- so I'm sure, like, House of Flying Daggers would have been Eastern violence, right? <laughs> right. right. Warriors, well, what about Warrior's Way, Kel- uh, Dingus? What does Warrior's Way get? Now, is that Western violence or Eastern violence? Because it's like about... I think it's about a samurai who comes to the Old West, if I'm not mistaken. What do you do there? I think that would be Central violence. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wan, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit more about True Grit? Now, let's let's get into some spoiler territory. If you haven't seen True Grit, you might want to bail, because Kelly Wan is now going to spoil a bunch of it. Uh, Kelly Wan, give us a... What would you call it? What, what you're about True to Grinopsis? All right, good. Rock and roll. <laughs> well, I don't know what Dingus is talking about, because this is what I saw. Nobody ever does. Uh, yeah, this next part will make perfect sense, though, compared to... <laughs> You just heard. Um, so this seven-year-old kid with uh, pigtails named Maddie Ross with a Ph.D. in horse finance and a minor in mortuary finance <laughs> goes to this country western town in the Hokey Pokies because her dad got shot by James Brolin and nobody went after him because he's at the bottom of a long list of little girls' dads who got shot that week, and they're hanging three of those. They caught, but they only let two of them say last words because the third one's boring. For the crowd. Because the hanging, I mean, it's already been five minutes, and it's the only thing going on in that town for a month. So time's a-wasting, as they say, in the Western violence. 
parts of the world. So, because Maddie Ross is good at wheeling and dealing with crafty bumpkins, and even though everyone keeps calling her ugly, even though she's beautiful and poised, her name should be Hottie Ross. Mm-hmm. Uh, ooh. At the hotel, she totally scores this sweet-ass uh, presidential suite for the night, sharing a bed with an old woman named Grandma Turner, who snores and hogs the covers. Uh, and she asks the sheriff who the best marshal in town is, and he says, uh, Grandma Turner. But if you're not too attached to that left arm, you could always try the angry drunk with no depth perception named after a chicken. <laughs> So she goes to court, and she listens to Cockburn mumble and lose the case he's testifying for. So she hires him to chase James Brolin, but he gets tired and walks away from the scene. And uh, Chuck Norris is this Texas Ranger, and he's a real straight arrow type guy because he likes to watch 10-year-old girls sleep and contemplates kissing them because Texas Rangers are like the paranormal activity demons. So, no, <clears throat> I mean, I assume the kiss in that one. Uh, so Norris has been chasing the guy who shot her father for 30 years across 90 state lines. So he knows what he's doing, but his spurs jingle too loudly. So she throws in with Cockburn. But the two guys skip out on her because she's a nine-year-old girl. But her horse swims good, so Norris spanks her for not letting them uh, do so. But then at the sight of this, Cockburn's not aroused, so he shoots his gun, and the journey gets underway. And they lose the trail for a few days, shooting at hunks of cornbread. But Norris loses, so he leaves the group by following at a distance, only it's really an old man with a bear's head on his head, like Anthony Hopkins in The Edge. And he says stuff, uh... Remember? Yes. And uh, so that guy says stuff after uh, Maddie Ross cuts down a hanged man to see if Cockburn knows him, even though he could have just shot the rope and saved her the climb. And they find out from the uh, crazed babblings of the bear Nostradamus guy that some guys are in a shed. So Cockburn tricks them by having an eight-year-old girl on the roof that she somehow climbed onto without making any noise, stuff a blanket that was up on the roof into the chimney to irritate the men in the shed and make them choke on justice. And uh, Cockburn shoots one of them. So they eat some stew that's just been coated in soot and smoke and spiders living in the chimney, shaken loose from the blanket, getting wedged. Uh, above the food, but the unshot guy tricks them by not being bound in any way, because they only bound up the hands of the guy who was shot and willing to negotiate, and who could barely move because of his wound. So the shed guys die, and Cockburn and Maddie Ross crouch in the rocks to ambush the gang when they show up to eat more stew, but instead Chuck Norris shows up, so Cockburn shoots everybody except the guy he's been hired to shoot. So then he drunkenly decides the trail's cold and it's time to go home, since it would be implausible plot-wise that the bad guys would stay in the area now that they've been alerted and they know they're being pursued. Um, And then Chuck Norris cries and he leaves, but not really. And the next morning she gets water from the stream, but James Brolin's there and he's dumb, so she tricks him by misfiring her gun and getting captured. And the leader of the gang tells Cockburn to leave, so he does, but not really. And the Battlefield Earth guy says Hottie's worth more to them alive, so he leaves her alone with the guy who wants to kill her. 
and goes down into the valley to make sure Cockburn's not down there, planning some kind of iconic four-versus-one jousting sequence. And Chuck Norris shows up just as James Brolin's about to kill Hottie, but Cockburn kills everybody except for the guy Norris shoots, but James Brolin tricks them by not being dead or tied up or under watch, but Hottie tricks him by shooting him again and falling into a pit of rattlesnakes that she wakes up by dragging them closer to her face, but Cockburn shows up again, but she gets bitten, and he shoots her in the hand to get the venom out. So he tries to make it up to her by killing her favorite horse and infecting her hand wound with his unsanitized knife blade and lips. So the doctor has to take off her arm and head. And then 25 years later, she finally decides to thank him. And she's ugly now. And she goes to Wild West show, but he died three days earlier when he heard she was coming. So she calls one of his friends a piece of trash and walks to a tombstone and then walks away from it forever. The end. <laughs> All right. Very well done, Kelly Wand. No. <laughs> You missed it. You, you, you. I think misinterpreted a couple of incidentals, but for uh, I might have gotten confused by a few things. Right. You're confused by a blanket. That was no blanket. Yeah. To paraphrase Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but Cockburn, I like Cockburn a lot. I do, I do not envy you uh, coming up with one of your synopses for this. I mean, it's tough. It's, it's tough. You should, you should, you should be allowed to go back to Tron just for this. <laughs> Why don't you envy him for this one, Dingus? It's, it's hard. It's tough. Good movies are hard. Spoiler alert. Aha. Uh-huh. Good movies make him, I mean, are hard. Aha. Uh-huh. Right. So, you, Tron, you just, I just transcribe what I really did see, but true good, I have to think about retardation. So, you wouldn't lump this in with, say, Intolerable Cruelty as far as, like, Coen Brothers movies, Kelly Wand? I like Intolerable Cruelty. Aha. Uh-huh. All right. I'm the Intolerable Cruelty apologist. What Coen Brothers movies do you not like? Um... I was slow to like Fargo, but then later I thought I was dumb and realized it. And, oh, brother, were I thought I was overrated. All right, so would you rank this with those? It's better than Crime Wave. No, it's better than all those. It's great. Okay. Isn't it? It's, is it better than Big Lebowski? <laughs> Dingus, why don't you field that question? Where does, it, where, does it, uh, where does this movie rank with you and the Coen Brothers oeuvre? You're sounding reserved, Tom. You bet. You bet. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Did you get? Did you read the book, Tom? I I will be our uh, source material uh, expert. I've, I've read all five of Portis's novels, so yes, I did read the book. I read all that one in Master of Atlantis, and but I didn't read Norwood. Is you, it the best one? Oh, you need to read Norwood, Kelly Wand. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and you haven't read Dog of the South. Uh, Masters of Atlantis and Gringos are his two most recent novels. I don't think he's been writing for a while. Uh, and they're they're also his weakest. He's no Cormac McCarthy. Uh, I think he kind of shot his wad early, uh, did three fantastic novels, and, and just hasn't done much since. Uh, hmm. Did you like Masters of Atlantis? Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's the one no one likes, but I don't understand why. I don't think people it's like great. Gringos either. Uh, his his two latter ones. Uh, so yes, I, I did read the the novels. Uh, we'll we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Dingus, do you agree with Kelly Wand? Is this more of a uh, or, or does this fit into the uh, Coen Brothers uh, pantheon? Say it. Uh, well, it's easily my favorite Coen Brothers film this year. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. Uh, well, you guys are being coy. I loved it, and uh, and I'm really. Uh, 
surprised you didn't. Why are you saying I didn't? Of course I did. I don't think anybody... Who could, how could someone not like this movie? Oh, I wanted you to not like it. Why, because, why would someone you were not being like, all coy and you're because, looking yeah. all coquettish over there. I was letting you guys go first before I started gushing. I mean, how, seriously, how could someone not like this thing? I, I, think, I don't know. I thought, you, I, I thought you were insane enough to not like it. I was hoping. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, so batshit. I'm going to just... All over. You're gonna no. You're gonna have to get someone else on the the podcast if you want to find someone who doesn't like True Grit. Uh, all right. Well, I was, I was starting to you think we were gonna get something going here. They're but, idiots if they think the John Wayne one's better. If they see them both, they're just dumb. Well, I I think that I mean so many reasons. A, a legitimate criticism you can make of this this movie is it in a way it's just a good adventure film. Uh, I, I think it's it's possible to sort of reduce it down to that and maybe have expected something more from it. I do think there is more to it than that, but yeah, I think it, I it, it could, I could see someone writing it off as, eh, it's a good adventure movie. Uh, I could sort of understand that. Uh, also, if you were expecting, if you do know of True Grit as, if you think of it as a John Wayne movie, uh, I think this is not at all going to live up to your expectations. So on those grounds, maybe somebody might not like it. Uh, now, have we all seen, I don't think we have all seen the original True Grit, correct? Who hasn't seen it? I think Dingus has not. Dingus, have you seen True Grit or, or Rooster Cogburn? Uh, I've got my hand up. Can you guys not you can't see that? <laughs> no, I have not seen the original True Grit, and I decided not to see that or, or read the book. Uh, so that, <laughs> that was your I, research. So that I could come here as a, as a virgin. A tabula rasa. Right. right. And, you, and you didn't see the Coen Brothers version either. No, I didn't watch that or any of their other movies. <laughs> uh, well, I, I part of what I love about this is I, I am a huge Charles Portis fan. I think that uh, he's, he's certainly my favorite writer from Arkansas. I'll give him that. Uh, True, True Grid is fantastic. Norwood is fantastic. Dog of the South is probably my favorite. But what, what I love about this movie is the Coen brothers, for the most part, just got out of the way and filmed mm -hmm. Charles Portis novel. And it's very much like what they did with No Country for Old Men. They did not inject themselves into it. They, they took the source material. They were like, we like this book. Let's make a movie of it. Even more so, because I got the sense they added some fun things to No Country for Old Men, but in this it was just pure worship of Portis. There's one shot in this where I was like, okay, that's a Coen Brothers shot. Do, do you guys have any idea? Do you have any guesses what I might be talking about? Well, I'm... I'm surprised. Often? No. Go ahead, uh, Dingus. You're surprised at what? It's not Sorry. one shot. It's it, it's the the animal the animal noise character. Is that is that guy from the book? Yeah. I think all of it. I think pretty much everything. And some of the dialogue even is is straight uh -huh. out of the book. The, the wacky bear guy. I think the animal noise guy. I mean, it's so. It's just through and through Portis. So I was actually disappointed to discover that I don't own a copy of True Grit because I really wanted uh -huh. to go back and read it after seeing the movie, but I. I don't have it. Uh, and, and, you know, I wanted to get it as a gift for uh, for my father-in-law because I had gotten him Dog of the South, and he really loved it. I thought it would be a great gift, and it's gone from all the bookstores right now. Really? That's so good. So I, I couldn't find it for myself or for him. I'm glad people are reading it. It, makes me, it gives me hope for the human race. <laughs> well, I'm, su I'm surprised to find it. I mean, that, that actually makes me very happy. Um, and I'm so happy that, that you know that you guys know the source material because that that animal noise guy felt to me like one of those Coen Brothers touches. And for and instead, what they did was apparently looked at source material that is just perfect for their sensibility. Well, but see, that's I, I kind of like what would you? 
I, I'm resistant to say it's their sensibility because it did feel so so portis to me. Like all the dialogue was, I, I don't know. The, the Coen Brothers are so kind of mini splendored that I don't know that I have a sense anymore for like what their sensibility is. I mean, they have so many different sensibilities uh, in a way. So so that's why I say there's only like one little shot where I really felt like I was watching a Coen Brothers movie. Um, mm. And uh, so, Kelly, Wan, you mentioned a coffin scene. What 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 coffin scene do you mean? I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. It's one shot where uh, uh, Matt Damon has been roped and dragged along, and it looks like they attach the camera mm-hmm. to the head of the rope while he's being pulled. It has that that kind of Barry Sonnenfeld, Sam Raimi kind of vibe to it, and it's just so brief, and it's not a big deal. I didn't mind it at all. But that was like the one moment where I was like, okay, it's a little crazy Cohen Cohen Brothers esque touch. Um, it's also weird because up to that point. They're kind of, in her point of view, like, you don't even hear what he says to them, the Damon character. Like, it's you're super way back, and you just hear him say, Marsh, Ranger. Well, I don't think the movie, certainly the book, one of the strengths of the book is it's entirely from Maddie's perspective. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the mistake of the John Wayne movie, is it becomes a John Wayne movie. But this is not a movie about uh, Rooster Cogburn, uh, and it's not a story. About, I mean, the story is about his effect on her life and their relationship, but it's all in the book from her perspective. Uh, and I don't think the movie ever leaves her perspective, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, do we ever see anything that she's not... Yeah, we actually... Did. It does kind of go down on the field with Rooster Cogburn when he's confronting Barry Pepper, though. So I'm wrong there, I guess. But, but she I'm, saw that. And I don't know. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm so, I'm so thankful for that for that fact, not for the, the, the uh, going down on the field you are just talking about, but that we are with her so much. Yeah. Because uh, going in... Uh, before before we saw the film, uh, I was I was just sitting there and, and thinking about what I was about to see, and I, I didn't watch any of the trailers, but I heard before I could close my my eyes and ears, I would hear his voice every now and then, and and if I'm listening to some television show in the background, before I can fast forward through the commercials, I might hear some of what he's doing, and so my nervousness going in was that I was going to. Ha- be saddled with this ridiculous cartoon um, sling blade voice for an entire film. And the film starts with her as its anchor. And, and she just, she just, she is, I'm so happy that we're with her the whole time because she is so fantastic. And she, she makes the movie, she makes the movie um, anchored for me. I don't know any other way to put it. So I'm, I'm glad uh, I'm glad to hear that that's what the book is too. And and um, and when I say earlier, when I said earlier, their sensibility. I'm kind of talking about the way this this movie's dialogue works, and especially works with her. And I think that's all Portis, though. I think it's, is that that's I would just point out that all of that I think you can credit to Portis. Well, I'm certainly willing to credit Portis for that. I haven't again. I haven't read the book, but I think the Coen Brothers, if you look at the way they deal with with language in their films, uh, the way they can deal with speed in language in their films, uh, they have an understanding of that. Right. And that's what I'm talking about when they, when they look at source material and they say, that fits what we want to do. Right, right. Um, uh, and Maddie Ross is, she's one of my favorite characters in fiction, too. I, I, I love the fact that uh, the, the movie is so true to her. I mean, you could watch it and think, oh, this is unrealistic. She's she's so precocious. You know, it's almost like a caricature of a smart, bright 14-year-old. And whether that's the case or not, uh, she's just such a vivid character. And that so shines through in the movie. Uh, yeah. And, 
And I also loved, too, I was a little, you know, when I heard that Jeff Bridges was cast in this, I was like, okay, that's an interesting choice. I'm a little worried how that's going to turn out. After seeing Tron last week, I was going to uh. count on him being cast. Because I was worried we were going to get another, like, Big Lebowski kind of character. It was just going to be the dude. No, the Helen's... Uh. Go ahead. I'm just I'm surprised by your pessimism. Like you wouldn't have expected the Coens to uh, make magic out of Jeff Bridges. And that that's and so watching the movie, I was so pleasantly surprised to discover that this Rooster Cogburn was very much it, his own character. It felt like a new invention. It didn't feel like a John Wayney kind of thing at all. It didn't feel like a the dude. Uh, it didn't feel like Jeff Bridges' weird sort of brittle voiced stuff that he sometimes does. Um, it, it was just, it, it, he just came alive, and he was unique, and I loved that uh, about the movie. Uh, like, I, I can't really think of, uh, it didn't remind me of anything else he's ever done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so did that, that work for you guys? Like, did you see, could you, could you see glimpses of Jeff Bridges' other work in there? He's never played a character like that. I mean, I'm trying to remember him in, what's the one from the 70s that we like? Thunderbolt Lightfoot. Well, yeah, but he's like a, a sort of a fresh-faced, naive, optimistic kind of guy in that one. Right. It's like that character if he was wretched and older. Well, and the funny thing, what I kind of liked about it, too, is he's not entirely a clown. He's, he's very, it turns out he's very competent, even though he's drunk and he can be a little tedious when he's, when he's bending her ear while they're riding along. I mean, I got the sense that, oh, my God, this guy would be a nightmare on a road trip. <laughs> But but he wasn't a clown. I mean, he was he was he was competent at what he did. You know, it wasn't a big joke or a big reveal that uh, that this guy didn't know what he was doing. I mean, he he had everything under control. <laughs> I thought I loved that about him. I really loved his his talking in those in those moments because the the cliche is for him to be I don't want to talk and her to be yeah. constantly asking him questions and instead he's just just talking and talking and talking. And I loved that. And and then when it's time to get down to business, it gets down to business. I mean, it's just such a great character. And I was nervous, having just heard bits and pieces of the voice, that it was going to be a cartoon. Yeah. And, and it's was, not that. And even when he and he's a drunkard, and when he's drunk, he kind of you know the the cornbread scene, which again straight out of the book, uh-huh. was a little weird. Like it it wasn't entirely a joke. It was funny, but it wasn't like played for humor. Um, I loved just how how that scene unfolded. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I loved the way he was lying in that bed at the beginning, you know, and the way he gets out and he runs into the ducks, goddamn ducks, and and, <laughs> and he takes everything so seriously. But but you get a sense that it, it's not going to be a surprise when these two make an emotional connection because they both have true grit, Dingus. <laughs> Good point. I was told you had grit. Uh, how did how did Matt Damon's character work for you, for you guys? What did you think of that? I loved him. I, d- I didn't know he was going to be in it, and uh, I loved what he was doing. I, I loved I loved that he can um, allow himself to be a bit a little bit ridiculous, and he's not afraid of that. Uh, I I thought he was great. Mm-hmm. A surprisingly good choice. And he made me, he reminded me of the character. Like, I'd kind of forgotten that character's deal from the book, and I only read it this year. But then when I saw how he was playing it, I remembered everything about him. 
So that's how good he was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Does he work for you, Tom? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Matt Damon, I always think is uh, is great as absurd as ridiculous characters. He does ridiculous so well, and I don't think he gets enough credit for it. Uh, and it's partly why I liked, oh, what was the, the movie where... Um, the Informant. Yes, exactly. It was partly why I liked The Informant. Oh, is it, it got in touch with how ridiculous Matt Damon can be without just being only funny. You know, there's a, there's a sense of, of pathos to his ridiculous characters. But he was competent, too. Exactly. There, there were no real clowns in this movie. Even, for instance, the, the, the traitor guy. And I, yeah. But the impossible exception of the bareheaded dude, just because you don't really see much of him or what his deal is... Um, but even then, it's got this this sort of gruesome reveal that he took the teeth out of the guy and he's still looking to trade the body away. Uh, uh-huh. th- there were none of... So, Dingus, you talked about that Coen Brothers sensibility, and they I think they love ridiculous characters that are played for jokes. You've talked about Beth Grant in The End of No Country for Old Men. And I never she, said that. That was you. You you hate her. Aha, I see what you're doing. Nice try. Uh, I love Beth Grant, so no, you can't pin that on me. Uh, but you, you've mentioned how she kind of feels like she's out of place because she is just almost like a throwaway joke that doesn't really seem to belong in the movie. And the Coen brothers admittedly love that kind of stuff. You know, you could argue that uh, O Brother Where Art Thou is entirely that. It's just ridiculous characters played for laughs. Um, but but I didn't get to... It seemed like everybody had some kind of dignity in, in this movie. There were There were none of... That there wasn't that kind of like ridicule and laughing at characters that they sometimes yeah. do. Um, it was all part of the world building. Like they were all funny because they were part of this right weird society that only existed. Yep. yep. Well, well, the one exception I would take for that, and it would have to be Josh Brolin for me. I mean, does he work for you? Yeah. Cause yeah. He, what's yeah. 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 He's because that's the thing is he's a she knows she paints him early on as being very pathetic. Uh, you know, he's not like a ruthless killer. He's he's, he's a dumbass. He's a, he's a, exactly. He's he's dumb. He's kind of reedy voiced. Uh, he doesn't seem like substantial or weighty. Uh, yeah, he did work for me. Um, he doesn't. I mean, he doesn't. You don't see him on screen till the last few minutes. He doesn't get much time to to build. Because you're thinking about Maddie the whole time anyway, too, because she's face-to-face with them. But we haven't seen them together before, even though she knows him really well. He he does he feels kind of incidental in, in a way. Yeah. Uh, so did did he not work for you as much, Dingus? Like, do, do you sort of feel like he was a little too jokey? He really feels like dirtied-up pretty. Uh, like, when, when she's... I didn't know he was going to show up, you know. And it, to me, it's a little jarring to see him on the edge of a river. Um, and then to start talking like that, you know, because you, you're used to him in the river in No Country for Old Men. <laughs> like exactly that, that, that river Brolin. Like exactly that river Brolin as and and just efficient and on the move and you know cleaning and drying his bullets and get, getting the dog. That he's just so bam 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 bam. And in this, he's like, what? I mean, it's weird. It's weird for me to, to see him be the guy that they're looking yeah. for. Yeah. I'm expecting somebody far more slovenly. Um, and I don't know how he's described in the book, but just from the way she's talking about him, I'm not expecting a guy who looks that fit. And it feels like that sort of Hollywood, uh, we're going to dirty up somebody who's pretty and, and throw him in there kind of a thing. Yeah, but Dingus, his hair was must. That's good point. His line delivery is good. <laughs> I agree it's with fine. Dingus. 
still workable. <laughs> well, one of the one of the great things about the early parts of the movie is how it's really full of. At least I didn't recognize any of the character actors. I love the old guy that she trades with. I love the prosecuting attorney in the courtroom scene. Mm-hmm. You know, these were yeah. these. I'm, yeah, and I'm sure you could get like actors that we know who would have loved to have done those parts. And the Coen brothers resist that, and they just find guys with great faces. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the guy in the uh, in the gas station scene with Javier Bardem. When when they you know they. They really give great parts to people who we don't recognize rather than names. And I love that about them. Uh, so on that level, I'm kind of with Dingus. It would have been, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure we really needed the Josh Brolin casting. Uh, For but such I, a minor. Yeah. But I didn't mind him. I, did, I didn't mind that. I love Barry Pepper showing up. He looked great. Because Barry Pepper's not uh, your conventional pretty boy. And they, make, they made him look like he'd been living out uh, in the territories and having a rough time of it for a while. Uh, he just looks so weathered and banged up. And not only that, he's almost, uh, it, he was almost impossible for me to uh, recognize. And that's hard to do with him. Yeah. He's very recognizable. And he just looked, and that's, that's him, that's the makeup, that's the hair. That's, that's really, I loved that. I loved that I had to sort of sit there, and, and it was a couple of minutes before I knew who it was. And he was great. And and uh, and that's that's another reason why Josh Brolin doesn't really work for me because I don't think him I don't think the two of them work together in that gang. I just think that guy should be somebody else. I'm, again, it's fine. Uh, I'm, it, it doesn't ruin the movie in any way. It's just a minor nitpick. Dingus, would you rather see Paul Walker in that role? Uh, uh, I'd rather Paul see Walker. Paul Walker. There you go. Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> including, would... including Maddie Ross. <laughs> Ding, uh, she was really pretty too for someone who wasn't pretty in the book, Tom. Well, they they had to. I mean, yeah, you know, I I don't know if it's. And she was. I mean, she was a. She's a gorgeous little girl, who's and her performance is great. Mm-hmm. But in the book, her plainness really came across. And I was glad she was younger than Kim Darby, who was like twenty. Like <laughs> she's a little tiny. Right. It's a little tiny girl shooting. See, that's what you get for for get for Josh Brolin. It's it's a trade off because you he's too handsome for Dingus, but he's also like big and threatening and a major star, and he gets shot by a, a little girl. <laughs> and that's another thing that's good. That's the Cohen sensibility too. Is in other movies when people get shot, they always cut away from it. Like John Carpenter, that Resident Evil guy. But in Cohen Brothers movies, if someone gets shot in the face, they always show it. And I was really surprised at that scene. I mean, I, I loved it, uh, but the the fact that it kept a PG-13 after yeah, you see a dude's see? fingers cut off and you see someone shot in the face. Isn't I was like, awesome? wow, I guess we're back to PG-13s actually having some heft. Uh, or the Coens. <laughs> or the, there's payola going on. Well, as long as there's no sex, it's okay. Ah, good point, yes. <laughs> I love America. <laughs> and I love Jack Valenti. He, he's such a pioneer. Uh, yeah. Dingus, were you okay with that in a PG-13 movie? Okay with what in a PG-13 movie? The, the violence. The, 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 oh, that I very violent met, scene. Maddie Ross's hotness. I thought you were... <laughs> um, I was. I was... Because it's so well... It, it, it hits you so well. I mean, when... It's the, organic. Yeah. When those fingers are cut off, you're just like, what? Whoa, where, where did that come from? Um, the, the, I just think the tone of this movie is so perfect. Uh, you know, it, 
you you get the you get the sense early on in, in something that Kelly was joking about in the synopsis in what the tone of this movie is going to be in the in that hanging scene when 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 the guy gets right. cut off when the when the uh, when the Indian guy gets cut off before he can finish what he has to say right um, and and you get the sense okay this is where we're going to go we're we're going to have some way she's going to carry us through she's going to be our our um, our serious man character. And she's in no man. danger, by the way, too, because right. it's told from a flashback. You know she's going to live. Exactly, exactly, because the voiceover is the, is the, uh, the older version of herself. Um, and and she, she anchors the movie in that way, and she's going to be the straight man, uh, and you feel really confident being with her, but you also know because of that hanging, things are going to get a little wacky here and there, and that's okay. Uh, and I don't know, I, I, I assume the tone of the book, knowing the tone of his writing, you know, you mentioned he's no Cormac McCarthy, but, uh, but I think of him more in the, in the same breath as, uh, who is, is it John Kennedy Toole who wrote Confederacy of Dunces? It is, yes, uh, it's I, his only book. I think of him more tonally in that, in, rather than Cormac McCarthy, because I, I just think of him as having more of, of a little bit of, of absurdity to him. Right. Uh, and and so w- when we had that hanging moment, I thought, okay, that's where we're going with that. And we got to that that weird violence moment where the fingers are cut off. At first, I was like, whoa, what? What? But then I calmed down because I think the table had already been set, so to speak. And just to, to clarify what I meant when I said he's no Cormac McCarthy, uh, Cormac McCarthy's novels get increasingly amazing as he goes, I think. Oh, okay, and I okay. think Charles Portis's get worse as as he, as he goes on. Uh, his first three are great. His last two aren't any good. Cormac McCarthy still amazes me. Uh, that, that's sort of what I meant there. Is uh, he, he, Portis doesn't seem to be getting better with age, and he's not writing anymore, so there's that as well. He's still okay. alive? Yep. Uh, well, you know, I, I assume Let's so. Let's go see him. He's very reclusive. A friend of mine tried to adapt, uh, a playwright tried to adapt Dog of the South and had a hard time getting in touch with him. He doesn't, uh, I don't think he does interviews. Um, hmm. Yeah, he's, see the movie. He's, uh, he's he got a big stuff. check, I bet, didn't he? I'm sure that he probably still, I would imagine he probably still has the rights. I would hope so. Uh, he hmm. deserves it. Um, um, something I liked about the book too is when you said Maddie Ross is one of your favorite characters of fiction is like she's so fleshed out in the book like she goes off on all those tangents about Democrats and Republicans and there's like religion's a big part of her life she makes all these biblical allusions uh, and she's just like appalled by Rooster Cogburn like I can't believe anyone who's not sick isn't up at 10 in the morning <laughs> <laughs> well she's very she's very harsh and judgmental yeah uh, and it, it's she was that she's way as a 14 year old and she's that way as you know an older woman looking back uh, yeah I, and I you know she, you don't get this sense that she's necessarily got a heart of gold at the very end I think it's kind of brave to have her show up at the that gunslinger show with the former James Gang guys, and, and to, you know, find out that Rooster Cogburn has, has died previously and to lash out at the other guy for being white trash for not standing up. I, I mean, she's, she's so abrasive, uh, and the, the movie doesn't sugarcoat that. Uh, yeah, and her face just looks like someone who's, like, she's just pinched. It's yeah. like, maybe that's, maybe that's intentional, like, the prettiness of her as a young child, like, it this experience turned her into an even harder one. <laughs> I don't know. She's like that before, though. Did this even change her? Well, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good question, Kelly Wan. I want to talk a bit about that, because traditionally in a Western, you know, you think of Unforgiven or something. You think of the, the act of vengeance uh, being almost like a, an apocalyptic, uh, like a conversion moment. You know, that's the, the moment of reckoning. Mm-hmm. 
and it changes the character. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Things are never the same. Uh, there's a, uh, a video game came out this year called uh, Red Dead Redemption, which which leads up to that kind of that that sort of moment, that revenge moment in a western, and totally fumbles it. I mean, it's uh, the, the developers of that game are just tone deaf when it comes to what really westerns are all about in terms of that moment of revenge. Uh, so you don't necessarily get that in. Uh, That's why books are better. But I, I say you don't necessarily get it because I, I, I think it's there, but I just think Maddie doesn't talk about it. It's not mm-hmm. something that, big, I mean, she is so driven by an idea of what's right and what's just. She's not someone to second guess and, I, I think, to sort of mope about, you know, moments when things could have been different. She's so convinced mm-hmm. of the rightness of what she's going to do, and she does it, and I think she doesn't let it change her. However... I think the the movie, and, and the book, it's from, from the book, I, I mean, I think the book makes it clear in a different way that this is a huge moment for her. And I, this one of the things I love about the movie, because I think the Coen brothers appreciate it. When Maddie Ross kills uh, Tom Chaney, mm-hmm. she, she literally tumbles into a deep pit, is poisoned and disfigured, and uh, a, one of the few objects of unbridled affection... Uh, dies for her. You know, you know, the horse ends up dying, taking her, you know, you know, it leads to this fevered ride through nighttime. Uh, uh-huh. And she emerges from the other end of that, disfigured, um, and it just cuts forward to the one moment later in her life where she revisits it, and it's lost to her. You know, uh, going back to that moment and that bond she created with, with this man. Uh, I just, I just the- love the visuals of that and how it could be a metaphor for what revenge does to someone. The look of joy on her face when she realizes the rifle's not going to misfire. Like, she's got him this time. She says, stand up, I want to see your face. And that's like her last moment of happiness <laughs> ever. Um, did you guys tear up when Blackie died? Uh, that's, that's a pretty harsh moment. I mean, I don't... I'm, I don't. I'm, I never tear up in movies. But uh, that's it not, it not just that he dies, but that he... You know, that poor horse is so tormented, and they do such yeah. a great job shooting that nighttime ride, you know, that sequence, mm-hmm. uh, and giving it this fevered quality. Uh, you know, it's almost like mythic in a way, uh, and and the, the way Rooster Cogburn has to ride it to death, and the way he, mm-hmm. I, I, never, I don't know much and about riding horses, yeah. stabbing it in the flanks to make it keep running. I was like, oh, is that is that how you manage horses back then? Like, is that is that part of what you got to do to make the horse keep riding? To save Maddie's life. Yeah. Uh, and mythic, is the, mythic is the perfect way to put it, because the way the sky looks, the, the way that whole thing is filmed, it really gets a, a feeling of, of transcendence about it. And, and know, from, from the moment she tumbles into that, that, that pit, that's such a great way to put it. I mean, it reminded me of Pan's Labyrinth in a way. It was just yes, a, yes. Such, mm-hmm. such a powerful moment in her becoming a woman. And it's it, it's also it fits so well. I mean, God, I love Roger Deakins. That guy, they're, they're cinematographer. Yeah. The way this movie is shot, the progression from the closed-in boxy city, you know, that's all beautiful. And I don't think you realize how closed-in and boxy it is until you get out into the outland. There, the uh, the territories there, uh, and then it becomes wide open and and sort of sunlit. Or there's uh, you know there's this sense of being in the outdoors. And then that Pan's Labyrinth look of, of falling into the pit. You're right, Vegas. That's mm-hmm. such a great comparison. Uh, and, and the fact that she's poisoned by a snake unfurling from a dead man's chest. 
Yeah. I don't remember if that specifically is in the book, but what a fantastic uh, sort it is. of metaphor. And she drags it closer, too, or yeah. she drags the death closer <laughs> intentionally. And that doesn't save her, by the way. To like, get a weapon. Yeah, which doesn't save her. You know, it takes it no. through Chicago. It things way worse. <laughs> what, what I really liked about that is, and this is just so clever, and I don't know if this is in the book, but we've been warned about snakes leading up to this. Yes. And I don't know. I don't know what that whole snake rope thing is, <laughs> but I like that this isn't just uh, okay. Now we have snakes. We'll look out for snakes. It's it's that. And you he know, dismisses she's, it. She's, You're she's worried about it. You know. Going up to that, and then there it is, you know, her, this fear that she clearly has. A dingus, you gave with Darth Vader. <laughs> oh, God, Kelly Wan, you would go. I would have expected Dingus <laughs> to go there, but you... I was for Dingus. You weren't supposed to hear it. Okay, good point. Uh, dingus, you're an outdoorsman. You camp a lot. What is the deal with ropes? You put a rope around you and a snake will crawl over it? Uh, because snakes uh, are against hemp. <laughs> uh, at least they were until they heard Pat Robertson champion marijuana this week. <laughs> now did? they're fine with it. Yeah. Oh. Don't mess with me. I will. Uh, I didn't remember the, the bit about the rope in the camp. Kelly Wan, do you know what that was? If you put uh, rope on your sleeping form, a snake won't cross it. Is that true? Yeah, it's an old white man saying. <laughs> well, it was so it was so great, and I, I wish I'd had time to look that up. What in the world they were doing with that rope? And then she takes it from him and, yeah. and, and puts it around herself, which is this <laughs> great touch. I love that. She's just so freaking practical and real. I just loved the way she was in this. Oh, I, I want to ask you something. Um, is is there any sense of um, impending chemistry or anything between her and Labeef in the in the book? I think so, because he's like a dandy, and she, like, like not, I don't think she would ever be open to that, but she's aware that he's a good-looking guy, that he's charming, that he's polished. She does warm up to him. She, she's immediately disgusted with him, but uh, I, I don't think, Kelly one maybe you can answer because you've read it more recently, uh, but I don't think that, that they, that, that, that that's, I think it's just in the movie as it is in the book. Kelly one do you remember differently? Well, if she, you're saying she likes the spanking? <laughs> no, they, they they have a moment. Does that when, help at all? <laughs> when, when they're when they're basically rejected by uh, Rooster, uh, where they have this this scene where they're talking across uh, across the rope from, to each other, and it, and it feels like they're making a real emotional connection here because they're they're on the same side. Right. But it, it feels like there's more than that. The the actors just there's a chemistry there where it feels like he he could let it go either way. And I was wondering if that was just something I was detecting or if it's from the book. I think if it's in the book, Dingus, the book is so driven by her perspective uh, that she would not let on to it. Uh, Dingus, read the book because it's really short. You'll read it really fast. All right, I'll do that after I read They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Uh, Spoiler. Because Uh, the reason I asked that is because it's, it's so fascinating to me um, that that 25 year transition. There's just that it's just such a shocking voiceover. 20. What did, what did she say? 25 years isn't that long or something like that. That's how it is. And then, and then it's and she's she's driven to go and meet with this marshal, and and uh, LeBeouf is given this sort of uh, never heard from him again. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yep. She also doesn't telegraph the arm thing in the book. It's like, I'm going to tell you about how I killed this asshole who killed my dad. 
Like, I, I lost an arm, but that's not the important part. Well, I, you know, it seems to me that character, I like that you said that, Kelly, because it seems to me that character would very much see that as the price of doing business. Right. Yeah. Uh, does that, did that remind you guys of any other movie you've seen this year that was maybe animated? Where a character has to throw in his lot with a oh, another character and ends up being maimed in the process by his adventure. Oh, I didn't even think of that. That's excellent. Kelly Wand, do you know uh, what I'm talking about? Avatar? So have you not seen How to Train the Dragon, Kelly Wand? Uh, oh, I don't see movies with... Uh, yeah. All right. How to Train Your Dragon. Just, I love the idea. I mean, maiming your main character is such a significant thing to do in a story, I think. Uh, and especially when it's a way to establish that connection with another character. You know, Rooster Cogburn is missing an eye. She ends up missing a, an arm by the time it's over. And How to Train Your Dragon did something very similar, which I thought was, which, which I thought was lovely. I can still use the word lovely. Dingus can't. Um, yeah, that's true. Oh, that's good, Tom. Uh, now, obviously, I'm presuming you guys also. Uh, let's talk a bit about this movie in relation to Winter's Bone. Yeah. I presume that's we, we have right. had such a wealth of. Uh, um, uh, go ahead. Oh, I would go ahead. I'm going to throw it over to you. I just wanted to say, I presume that's crossed your minds. Go. <laughs> I'm just going to say we've had such a wealth of of young female mind blowing performances this year. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel embarrassed at the riches to to just get all cliched. Uh, and that's that's why you know I'm not even talking about severing hands. I, I just thought about how 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 much how lucky we are. We just got a fantastic group of performances. The sad part to me is they're all going to go on to play like lame ass comic book characters instead of make awesome movies that made us got us. Hooked. So you say that's the sad part, but I, I think I, I mean that's that's part of how you manage your career is you do something awesome like Hit Girl or Fish Tank or something, and then you do uh, a couple of crap. Let, let me in. And like, oh, God, shut up. <laughs> There's my example. Checkmate, I win. Points, Kelly Wan. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I, I'm just so, you, you know, I, I watch True Grit, and I think, is it, I keep wanting to call her Hattie Satterfield. What is it, Dingus? What's her last name? It's, it looks like Steinfeld. Okay, Stein, Hattie Steinfeld. Uh, I, I'm just, I, I was just so overjoyed by her performance and how good she was and the fact that she's so young and she has presumably so many great performances ahead of her. I mean, it's the same with, with Katie Jarvis this year, with Chloe Moritz, with Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, there have just been so many, like you're saying, Dingus, there's an embarrassment of riches about these, these awesome stories about young girls uh, who go through adventures that are based on triangulating their relationship with their father. Uh, I think that's the case with, with, with Kick-Ass, Fish Tank, Winter's Bone, and True Grit. Uh, and just tremendous actresses in, in those parts. What about Carrie Mulligan? I don't I mean, that's more of a standard... Cat does not agree with that. <laughs> I mean, the, the Carrie Mulligan thing was, you know, based on, again, that's the memoirs of an o- older woman as well, looking back. But that seemed to me more of just a standard coming-of-age thing. You know, that was what about like Gemma a- Arterton? You're talking about the uh, disappearance of Alice Creed? Or oh, Clash yeah. of the Titans? <laughs> uh, I meant Prince of Persia. Oh. <laughs> and Tamar Drew. I like the triangulation with the dad, because I was just thinking of them as in working their way through a man's world. And, you know, I, uh, see, that's, that's the thing to me, is it's all about 
Uh, I mean, Hate Girl's a little different, and that's a bit more of a specious movie, I think. But Winter's Bone, Fish Tank, and True Grit are all about women dealing with uh, an absent or killed father, uh, right. I think. Mm-hmm. What's it mean, Tom? It means that, you know, sometimes uh, you, you get cool, sophisticated messages and uh, every now How and then. How come the mothers are always lame asses? What's that mean? Well, where's the mother in this? Is is she, she just can't handle the world? Uh, is there anything in the voiceover about her? Uh, well, that, that's the thing. Is she, like, the, the mother's apparently not good at figures. And, like, it, it seems like uh, Maddie has kind of had to... While her and everything, yeah, yeah, like she's kind of, you know she's got a younger brother at home. She's got her mother who's not good with this kind. Who doesn't she have a Jennifer Lawrence it. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> the murder. <laughs> uh, so is the dialogue is the dialogue pretty much out of the book because the dialogue the, no. and the way this girl the way uh, Haley Steinfeld handles it is is such an element for me for just hooking me into this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And is, is that pretty much Charles Portis dialogue? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a so super you, short book and there's like a four page anecdote where it's just him talking drunkenly about some, something on a train or something, this rambling thing. And then it ends <laughs> with him falling asleep and then her going, you woke up two more times, told me stories even longer. <laughs> uh, Dingus, give us some lines from the movie. Uh, I admire your sand. <laughs> Give us enough. That's from Assassination of Jesse James. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, hold on. Are we trading again? <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wan, give us lines from the movie. Don't look back. Looking back's bad. <laughs> that was your tagline. <laughs> this is like women talking. <laughs> That was great. That's that's from the book too, and and that was when uh, Leboeuf and or Lebeef and uh, Richard Cogburn <laughs> were fighting about something. What were they fighting about? Civil War. Oh, I love that detail too. You know, when they yeah, bring up Captain yeah. Quantrell, and like that's one of the things I love about like westerns. When a western acknowledges yeah. that it, it's taking place in a world that is being sort of rebuilt after the Civil War. Yeah, uh, and, and it and, was perceived at the time as like between a New York Jets Philadelphia game. I'm not following you. Never. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wan, you would go from the Civil War to a sports metaphor. <sighs> Sorry. Well, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Never mind. What were you going to say? How's your bracket? Uh, eight. <laughs> you were going to make a cool point for once. Gotcha. Oh, good. Oh, you dinged me. Showed you. This is like women talking. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and they're fighting about who shoots better and all that stupid stuff. I love that. Uh, Dingus, go ahead and get out of the way. The bitching about the music. Go. What? I'm, I'm predicting Dingus hated the music, even though it's no. he liked uh, it. I one of my favorite things was the closing credit music, actually, uh, because it reminded me um, in a. Well, it's not, I guess, a weird way. It doesn't have to be a weird way because it's the same guy, but it had a real Miller's Crossing feel to it. At mm-hmm. least the, the closing music did. Uh, why would I hate the music? What are you talking about? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs>
I just wanted to give you an opportunity if you wanted to rail against uh, a little Carter Burwell. I wanted to afford you that option. Yeah, it's true. I am want to. I, I am want to rail against. Oh, I do want to ask where, where the hell did do either of you know how Spielberg got into this? Oh my God, that was that was a little that was briefly yeah. alarming to see him listed as an executive <laughs> producer. I was like, uh oh. Cohen's and Spielberg. <laughs> Because we had just seen his name as executive producer in the trailers yeah, for that for Transformers, Transformers movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good sign. No, it's dark side of the moon. That's all. I think it's it's just dark of the moon, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, it's Transformers Dark of the Moon. Get it right, Kelly Wand, because we're going to be What's seeing it. Floyd? No, we're not. I'm not seeing that thing. Yes, you are. I, I'm not seeing. <laughs> I don't see any of those movies. You're seeing it, and you're seeing it in 3D. You're not with us. That's right. Dude, no one wants to hear that or see. We're it. gonna go see it at a daytime show with three-year-olds and the two of us. <laughs> is Haley Steinfeld in as the Megan Fox character? Which is one, two, three. Not only you and me got I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a weak line. Go back. I don't know. You made me think of Megan Fox's fingers, and then I thought a finger being cut off. It was awful. It's the toe. Or the thumb. What is it? Her thumb's her toe? Yeah, you comparing that actress to Megan Fox is just terrible. How dare you? <laughs> I'm think, this is like the Jennifer Lawrence thing, where she's going to be like in some Michael Bay thing, and we'll miss her. We'll feel sad. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence is well down on Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence is in the X-Men movie that's directed uh, by Matthew Vaughn, who did Kick Ass. Why are you all down on that? Uh, no more superhero movies. Never. No more well, superheroes. How about Thor? Can we let Thor come out? Or are we, uh, <laughs> we're just going to clamp down on him. <laughs> they're not even gods. They've changed it. Comic they're books like, are the new Shakespeare, Kelly. I don't know what your problem is. Oh, God, dingus. I had a guy try to tell me video game writing is the new comic book writing, and I laughed at him. And then I told a comic book writer guy that, and he laughed at me. <laughs> and I went, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know exactly. Uh, Speaking of serious. comic books and video games. Yeah, let's bring that up. Let's do a three by three. All right. All right, these are three weapons that you'd like to use uh, from movies. You can't take them from comic books or video games. They have to have appeared. I love this topic. I'm so glad. Oh, good, good. Did this work for you, uh, Dingus? Were you, did you have to struggle with it much, Dingus, or did you come up with some good ones? Oh, yeah, it was it was so easy because it was three weapons I like to use from Star Wars, and uh, and that oh. was okay. We've taken off the table uh, lightsabers. I thought there might have been something else that was taken off the table. Oh, oh and the the, this, the revolver from Faster. <laughs> so you That's, can't. Did, did you oh. take rainbows yeah. off the table? Did I take Reinquist off the table? What did you just say? <laughs> did you take Reinquist? Did you take Supreme Court Justice Reinquist off the table? Uh, I don't. I don't know what you were saying, Dingus. You asked if I took something off the table, but I didn't hear what you said. I asked if you took Rancors off the table, but never mind. I thought you took all of Star Wars off the table. Rancors. I actually know what that is. Those are the things that smell better on the inside. That's absolutely right. Yeah, they, and they're the they're the guys that capture R two D two at the beginning of Star Wars and sell him. Dingus, how do you spell Tauntaun? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Chief Justice Alito is the shoulder pauldrons. You spell yeah. it. You spell Tauntaun F U D E L. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, Kelly Wan, you're doing next week's topic, so you start us off. What is the third the the weapon you'd 
most like to use that comes in third place? Uh, well... It's not a lightsaber. Okay, here's my here's what the theme of my choices. Okay. My defensive. Okay, because um, like the four-barreled shotgun from Phantasm Two was cool, but it's only feasible if you're fighting exactly four people coming at you like in a horizontal row. Okay, Kelly One, you don't even know how shotguns work. <laughs> no, I don't. Shotgun is that into my list as well. <laughs> it's a spread of pellets that can that can hit more. That goes out. So the thing is, he he cuts off the barrels at an angle. So the, the pellets spread out in like 180 degrees in front of them, uh, and oh. it makes it clear so that you can easily hit more than four people with four shotgun barrels. All right. Well, hold that thought, then. I may change my number three. Um, would, eight, would eight barrels make it a 360-degree spread? You'd probably have to jury-rig it. Like to, uh, as you could, yourself. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be a little That's problem. That's a challenge. So the four barrel shotgun from Phantasm Two, that's a good one. That might okay, have been one of my Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. What? I was gonna say I just wanna say the theme oh, okay. is like flying guillotines and such are for the hardcore ascetic Asian wizard hermit types. Cause sometimes it also just rips a shirt off and then there you are with your dick in your hand. The other hand against a shirtless guy. Anyway, my point is, since I'm lazy and uncoordinated, I picked only weapons that I, an idiot, could use. You don't need, like, any training. Ah, good, right. Like, well, that's the thing. He's, he's going to mention five more movies before he gets to his number three, so just chill. I've given him his number three. He's got it down, because that's a good one. I like that shotgun in Phantasm, because it, right. his name is Reggie. He, like, cuts it in such a way, and I, if I'm not mistaken, the one time he does get to use it, don't they make mm-hmm. it clear that he's got two of those evil Jawas, like, at, at extreme angles? Yeah, they make it clear that it's for a wide spread. Uh, so yeah, Reg, Reggie's shotgun. I don't know how feasible it is, but it's a good little cinematic device. Uh, so does Larry Craig use that? The Octomom uses half of them. Oh god! But if I may, yeah. Kelly, is that your actual number three? It was the sword and sword and the sorcerer that shot stuff, but now I'm going to change it to the Phantasm Two. Okay, I'm putting your sword in a sorcerer that shot. No, 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 no. Kelly, when you can't just go, go like you can't just name a bunch of stuff. Like save it for. No, your I'm stuff. saying that was what it was going to be a long time ago, but now it's the four-barreled shotgun. Okay, we'll save that for your runner-up then, rather than mention. Which one? Oh, the sword. Like if you're going to use more than three slots, you know, wait, wait to mention them during the runners-up when we'll all talk about extra stuff. Because I have a whole bunch of stuff too. I like this topic. Yeah, okay, me too. Please put love... me down for for Phantasm Two for number three. I beg you. All right, thing is, what is your number three weapon that you would like to use? Oh, well, I love this topic because I, I I spent the first part of the week just thinking of of nifty weapons and and the, the ways they're used, and I forgot that you said you that you would like to use. Right. And that sort of changed my list later on because because it became more practical for me. <laughs> Um, my, my theme was was at least for two of the three is more practical, and then number three is completely not practical. But but uh, but okay. So here's my number three. My number three. I'm gonna give you guys a quote, and neither of you are gonna know what it's from. Yay! Okay. <laughs> oh, mama, I got to get me one of these. Wait, that's from something dumb. I know what that's from. I've seen that. I've surely seen that. What is that from? Raiders of the Lost Ark. No. Okay. <laughs> That's not how they talked in the 40s, 30s. Uh, we, it's we, obviously a black guy. Let's be racist. Because have we not seen it? 
No, you Black haven't. But, but it is it is uh it is a joke on the line from Independence Day. Okay, so it's Will Smith. It's Wait. not. It's just a joke on that line. It's not something you've seen. And the weapon is, and, and uh, I don't think either of you have seen this movie, and, and I'm going to get totally uh, slammed by both of you for choosing this. But it's from a movie I saw a few weeks ago called Tangled. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is Dingus talking about Tangled again? That's for, that's for, pre, that's for tween girls. Yeah, that's right. How was and Twilight Eclipse, Dingus? Uh-huh. It turns out, I don't know. Uh, why don't you ask your mother? <laughs> oh, snap! Sick burn. <laughs> uh. Like your mother? Don't Google yeah. her. Stop it's a perfectly that. healthy, normal thing to do in a Mormon family. <laughs> All right, Tangled is uh, is actually really great, and uh, and. The uh, the weapon in question is a cast iron skillet, and it is one of the best looking cast iron skillets I've ever nice. seen in a movie ever. It just looks it is animated so freaking well, and it's used um, it's used beautifully in the film. Of course, it's cartoon violence, uh, but the the cast iron skillet plays a very important part in this film. And and when I talked about practicality earlier, um, this is going to be utterly ridiculous for me to say, but, uh, but as, as a guy who's the head of a household, I kind of think, since I don't have a lot of guns lying around, I think, well, what, what would I do if I, if I needed a weapon? What would I grab? Would I grab? Would I grab a lamp? What would I grab? I've got a, I've got a baseball bat over there. I've got this or that, you know, lying around. What would I do if I needed a weapon at short notice? And um, and and I've got a big old twelve inch mm-hmm, cast iron skillet. Yeah, oh. cast iron skillet. Never mind. And, um, and that thing is hefty. It's it's uh, difficult to to. Uh, to swing, let's let's be honest, but uh, but the idea of using that as a weapon uh, would be would be okay with me in a in a in a pinch if there were a zombie apocalypse uh, happening before I could get a sawed-off shotgun. Um, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna use the cast iron skillet from the movie Tangled. Doesn't she use her hair as a weapon? Because she did in the trailer. Yeah, but I don't want to use that. That's not I'm not interested. That's not a fun weapon hair. either. <laughs> All right, so so Dingus, I think you know this, but in in Dead Rising, if you pick up a cast iron skillet and you use it on a stove, it then heats up and you compress it into a zombie's face and cook the zombie's face. Hmm. Yes, and but that smell like. But I was thinking more of that, and I can never remember the name of the the game. It's it's where you, it's. It's where you run around and and you can pick up a weapon. It's got stars over it, and the stars. We just played it. Bloody good time. That has a bloody good time. Yeah, is yes. there a skillet in that? I believe there is a skillet in that. Yes. Yeah. So that's what I thought of first, and then I remembered that that Dead Rising had that too. Good. Good. All right. Cast iron skillet entangled. Uh, mm. So most of mine are pretty un, ear practical. They're non practical. They're a practical. Uh, <laughs> Well, one of them was a word. That <laughs> uh, the third one, so I'm going to give you guys a line. I can't actually think of a line from the movie, so I'm going to invent a line from the movie because there's nothing in the movie that anyone ever says out loud that's worth saying again. This movie's terrible. So here's the line that I'm imagining might have been in the movie. You guys ready for this? Here we go. I'm Jonah Hex. Can you guess what the movie is? Ghost Rider. Um. <laughs> Ghost Writer? That's so you guys did not see Jonah Hex, I guess. No. Okay. Why would we? 
I don't know. You know, that's a good question. That's a very valid question because you're Josh Brolin fans. Uh, so uh, Jonah Hex. Well, he made another western that was good. <laughs> he's a he's a superhero in this, but he's like a zombie superhero, and he's partly disfigured and whatever. It's it's terrible. But early on, there's a scene where he's dragging a dude. I think it's the opening scene of the movie. He's he's captured uh, some guys, and there's a bounty on him because he's a zombie bounty hunter. And he's captured them, and he's dragging them uh, on horse. He's on horseback, and he's got their bodies tied to a rope. And he drags them into the town where there's a bounty on these guys, and he's going to collect his bounty. And he's surrounded by all these these guys who are going to rip him off. Who are like, there's there's, and they say there's a bigger bounty on you. We're we're gonna we're gonna get you. Um, and it's the it's the classic standoff where he's just on horseback. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's got anything but his pistol. Uh, and there's guys, you know, there's a sniper in a bell tower. There's guys in front of him confronting him. And it's like, how is he going to get out of this? You know, how is he going to shoot his way out of this scene? So what he does is when it's clear that they're going to they're, they're gonna throw down on him, I think that's how you say it in the Old West, he rips a blanket off of the horse and mounted on either side of the horse are Gatling guns. <laughs> he reaches down and he's turning that crank like you do on a Gatling gun. You know, it's on either side of the horse. His horse becomes like a tank with Gatling guns on either side of it. So I would love to be able to do that. I'm not a big horseback rider, but if I was ever on a horse and was in a fight, I would love to reach down and turn a crank and fire twin-mounted Gatling guns off of my horse. So that's my number three. Gee, I have to see that movie now. Wow. <laughs> you don't, because I just ruined the uh, best part of it. Uh, really? Isn't Megan Fox nude in that? Not that I recall. Uh, all right, so there you go. Twin-mounted uh, Gatling, horse-mounted Gatling gun. It's like Cormac McCarthy meets Constantine, that movie I heard. <laughs> does, does this bother the horse at all? Does the, horse the horse seems to be pretty well. Like, he, he rears up and does that whole horse-rearing-up thing, but the Gatling guns are still shooting while he does it. Like, the horse seems pretty well-adjusted to this. Uh so I would think that would burn the horse's hide, and he'd be all, get all freaked out. I imagine he's pro- he might be like a zombie horse. Also, I don't know if he's got like ah. a special horse mount. Like I don't know if that's part of his his powers. Uh, Zorse in a superhero movie. <laughs> there are zombie horses, by the way, in Red Dead Redemption. So I just want you to know you can ride zombie horses in that game, but they don't behave very well. Like you can't steer them very well. Who'd have thought that an undead horse would not be very easily controllable? Uh, are they really slow horses? No, they're fast, but they just, you know, they'll ride you into a river and you have to reload the game. Well, what happens if a zombie horse bites you? That's a good question. I shall have to look further into that thing. All right, look into that, please. Read your review. Okay. Uh, Kelly Wan, what is your number two? Oh, your number two I have is the sword in Sword in the Sword. No! (laughs) By the way, I slept in a barn one time, Uh and the smell was really bad, but the horse didn't mind. All right, uh, my number two. Uh, <clears throat> and I thought they smelled bad. <laughs> I hate you. I know. JK, JK. But I do hate the podcast. Um, my number two is uh, The Common Cold in War of the Worlds. Okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> you want to use The Common Cold as a weapon? They Well, we do. It's how we win. But you want to use it. What do you mean? You personally... Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't stuff. get it. They get it. So I'm watching aliens with the cold die. I can't imagine 
Except which were the worlds? Yeah, which one, Kelly Wand? The uh, the 1954 oh. one or the 2008 one? The one directed by the executive producer of True Grit. Yeah, that one. And what else was the executive producer of? Something I know. Minority Report. <sighs> All right, Comic Cold and War of the Worlds. That's a good one. It's a famous one. Classic weapon. No, nice that's not nice twist. It's very M. Night Shyamalan of you. That's not my real one. <laughs> I love that. I love you. I know you hate me, but I love you. Okay, my number two. Like, listen to women talk. <laughs> women wouldn't talk about anything this boring. They talk about shoes. Books. Which can be used. Uh, uh, in High and Low, the Akira Kurosawa movie, it opens with a bunch of dudes sitting around talking about shoes. So, Kelly Wan, you take that back. But yeah. they're Japanese men. Met, they're, they're talking the daylights out of shoes. It's all about shoes. What they kind of feet? Those Japanese, no like, like red blooded male. No red blooded male says talking in the daylight. Talking the daylight out of. All right, so common cold in World of World. <laughs> what is the second, the weapon you'd most like to use in second place? Ugh. How can you how can you ug before I choose or or do you? No, I was ugging mine. I was ugging my number two. I'm ugging expectantly for you and sadly for myself. All right, my number two is another practical weapon, um, and it's from a movie I really don't care for, except I I like this particular segment of the film, but the film overall I don't care for. Uh, the, this film is called The Signal, and it's from 2007. And the the weapon in question is this awesome, weird, I don't know how to put it other than to say knife mace, where this character early on in this in this film where where essentially there's the, there's this this signal that's being transmitted through through televisions and everything that makes everybody go crazy and kill each other and and one of the dudes has to uh create a weapon and what he does is he takes all these kitchen knives <laughs> that's right <laughs> and he shoves them through i think it, i i tried to watch it but it, it didn't show up in this version but i saw it uh, I saw a, a cut of it at Sundance, uh, and, and I'm not sure if it's not in this version of the film or it's just Netflix was freaking out tonight, but he takes these knives and he, and he shoves them through like the base of a lamp or something, and he wraps duct tape around it so that he, he winds up with this, this knife mace, this thing with all these kitchen knives sticking out of it that can't really possibly work in the real world. But that's, that's the weapon he comes up with. To to fend off all of the homicidal homicidal maniacs that are going to be coming for him, and I just loved the the image of him creating the weapon, him duct taping it together, and then just going out and and slaughtering uh, these homicidal maniacs with this thing. Do, do, so. Don't we get to see it in action? Like, doesn't it get used? Is it is it yeah. like Chekhov, where you show the gun and then you fire it by the end of the third act? Doesn't the knife mace get wielded? Yeah, yeah, he uses it, but he doesn't. You know, you uh, the the structure of the signal, which is what threw me off, is it's a it's it's very clearly a three act structure. It's three different guys who directed each act, and so each act has very different feel to it. And so he's he's in the first act, and yeah, he he plays a part in it. Kelly, one, we need you to see the signal to settle uh, the dispute between Dingus and I. I love the movie. Dingus doesn't understand it. So we need you to see it so you can explain it to Dingus. The Japanese one? No, no, it's very American. I think it was shot, like, wasn't it shot in Atlanta or something, Dingus? It, it's not like a typical... It's a Japanese film one, dude. 
I think you're right, Tom. I think it was in the lab. Yeah. Uh, mm. No, see the American signal, Kelly Wand, uh, so that the weight Wait. of the podcast will be in favor of the signal. Right I now, think you'll like it, Kelly. I think you'll like the signal. It's got... It's got a Kelly Wan sensibility about it, especially the second act. Especially the second, yes, the second act, which is, uh, I would say, brilliant. Dingus would say... Lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So this won't spoil anyone else's, because I know neither of you guys have seen this, but you you mentioning that, uh, Dingus, reminds me of a German zombie movie called... I think the English title card calls it Siege of the Dead, but in German it's called Rambach, and I don't know what that means. Probably German for Siege of the Dead. <laughs> Something really is lost. <laughs> but at one point, so it, it's two guys, it's just two normal guys trapped in an apartment during a zombie apocalypse, uh, and one of the guys, is a, he's really a kid. He was the electrician's assistant who was there at the time of the outbreak, and he was working on the apartment, and he and another just random dude get shut in the apartment, and they're barricaded in there. There's zombies everywhere. So while the one guy sleeps, the kid is at the, the he's in the kitchen at a little kitchen table, just fussing around with stuff in there. And he decides he's going to build a weapon. So he takes out the silverware, and by using the handles of forks and rubber bands, he builds a slingshot. And for ammo for the slingshot, he's snapping off the tines of forks and taping them at odd angles to make these kind of caltrops, you know, that he's going to use the slingshot. Uh, and he's going to fight zombies with this. And later on in the movie, when it actually gets used, it's about as effective as you can imagine, <laughs> which is to say not at all. Uh, <laughs> but he, there's this great image, you know, he's just sitting there piecing tines together, thinking this is going to be a really badass weapon. Uh, and it's not. <laughs> um. <laughs> Wait, that's your number one? That's not my choice, because that, that's not a weapon I'd want to use. Because, uh, you know, if you pull, a, if you just use a slingshot to fire fork tines at odd angles, that are taped together at odd angles, it's not going to do anything. That's not my number two. My number two instead... How the hell are you going to get the tines off of a fork? He's, yeah. he's, he's bending them back and forth. I get, you know, German forks, I guess they don't have much workmanship. Racist. Krupp's Steelworks is busy doing things other than forks, I imagine. Good point. So, my number Take two actually... Base. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think this number two... I, I know the number two weapon does not exist. And it's not the one that I think most people think of from this movie, but it's the one that, to me, is the most visually arresting. Uh, everybody likes in Aliens the pulse rifle. But forget the pulse rifle. I love those big mounted guns that Vasquez and Drake, they put on like a harness. It's almost like you're going to yeah. use a steady cam. They, they put on these harnesses, and then they drape over them these big, huge, they're like support rifles. Um, and in the video games, they imagine that they're kind of guided guns. And I don't think there's anything from that in the movie. In the movie, instead, you just get a sense that this is the heavy firepower. You know, this is a supporting gun. And you need to be really strong and tough. To, to, to wield it. Uh, actually, you don't necessarily, because Vasquez, you know, she's a smaller chick. She's, she's muscular. She's tough. But she's not like a big guy like Drake. Um, but I love those. She's weapons. badass. What the hell are you yeah. talking about? But she's little, right? Like, like Jeanette Goldstein isn't that tall. Like, Drake is a really big dude. She's, isn't she kind of diminutive in Aliens? She's uh, badass. I'm not, I'm I not mean, questioning Tom, have badass. you ever been mistaken for a woman? Shut up. <laughs> When so, has? have you? Have you? Ha ha. <laughs> but I love the idea of like having to suit up into a gun like that. Uh, that, that I remember I, not. I, I love just the the choreography of them when they first put them on in the ship. Yeah. 
and they move together. That is that's a great choice. I love that. And, and then when Drake gets sprayed with acid, you know, when he's having to like knock off his armor and the harness and stuff, just there's this sense of that gun as this huge badass piece of gear that I love about it. I remember it not making as big a noise as it should. Well, there, there, yeah, it's not like a. And that's part of a. That's because it's so high tech, Kelly Wand. Unlike the common cold in War of the Worlds, which has <laughs> sneezing. A good point. Aliens. Hey, Tom, Tom, is there any quote you would uh, associate with using that gun? What's rock? Thank you. Yes. <laughs> but you have to yell it really loud. Did you say and you have pro- to be a chick. <laughs> Where's she? How come Ridley Scott doesn't do his prequel about her character? Never mind. I don't know. Maybe she'll, maybe she'll be in it. Uh, Natalie Portman's supposed to be a Marine in the prequel. Do you guys know that? <laughs> Good. Good to know. Maybe she can have one of those guns. Hmm. I love that character, and, and that's a. I was thinking about guns I would want, and I didn't think about that one. That's great. Because yeah, everyone remembers the pulse rifle. Like that's the one that gets all the press. Hmm. But uh, the pulse rifle, eh, whatever. Although well, the thing that, that Ripley puts together at the end, like what does she does she strap a she like tapes does she tape flamethrower the flamethrower that's right she tapes a flamethrower ah uh, can I change my answer. <laughs> There's a lot of great weapons in Aliens, and not one good one in Avatar. What's that tell you? Wait a minute. Come on. There's got to be a great weapon in Avatar. Name one you, great weapon in Avatar. Oh, yeah, the big knife. That's thanks great. Thanks for ruining my number one. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, the knife that, that only a mech can use. Yeah. <laughs> uh, does Michelle Rodriguez count as a weapon? Does the Force count as a weapon? <laughs> well, Kelly, what is your number one? Is it from Avatar? Um, can I change my number three and two? <laughs> uh, yeah, hmm, this is tough. Do I go for the real one or the funny one? All right. Well, if it's you, I think you go for both, don't you? <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, okay, I'm going to say, uh, did you guys see, um, Okay. Baby carriage and Shogun Assassin, but as a baby, like, not as a full-grown man. Uh, you have to explain this, because I have not seen the movie. Really? I'm not uh, even sure I know what Shogun Assassin is. It sounds Japanese. Yeah, it's, uh... We went into this on the threads. I can't... Now I have to recover my memory. Okay, so it's like this disgraced samurai, and he has, like, a little kid, son, baby in a baby carriage in a drama movie. <laughs> and uh, the baby carriage is like, it's got all these cool booby traps. So the little kid, if he hits like a switch on it, it'll cut off like guys with pole arms feet if they're chasing him. Ah. Shoots missiles and oil slicks and it goes underwater. Sounds so pretty awesome. Yeah, baby carriage, Shogun Assassin. All right. How old? You haven't seen that movie. How old is 75? It? Oh, well, that's why I haven't uh, seen it. Yeah, it's the Lone Wolf and Cub, Frank Miller. I'm just saying a bunch of random bullshit now. Kelly One, back in the 70s, I was watching cinema. (laughs) (laughs) All right, but a baby carriage that cuts off people's arms and goes underwater. I like that. It it sounds like kind of like Speed Racer's car, but as a baby carriage. No, it didn't have boing boingers because they didn't have that technology yet in Fuel Japan. Ah, good. Okay. It was 1980. That's what I meant by 75. Dingus, do you know this movie, Shogun Assassin? I'm going to say no. 
That's a good one, Kelly Wan. Thanks for representing the 80s or in the, the 70s. Although actually, Lone Wolf and Cub. It's like the original Japanese name, and then they Americanized it and made it cool with the words Shogun Assassin. <laughs> and the slogan for the movie was, he whips out his sword and relieves his victims of their heads. <laughs> All right, good. So, <laughs> but the baby character... The- yeah, never mind. What was the trailer we saw that we just... Was it Ninja Assassin that just made us laugh when the title actually... Oh, God, yeah, I think so. It was something generic. Yeah, I think there was a Ninja Assassin. You know what? That probably had some cool weapons in it, too. That might... My number one could easily appear in Ninja Assassin. Yeah, it did have some sort of a chain, like... um, Some sort of a chain weapon, I think I remember. Which is my favorite weapon from... Oh, never mind. Sorry. Hey, well, what is your number one? Soul Calibur. Yeah. <laughs> What's your number one? Uh, my number one is is totally boring. Um, it's it's not practical at all. It's it's a, I, I I left the kitchen for this particular one, as they say. Oh. Um, so I, I chose. Uh, I'm gonna get in so much trouble. <laughs> uh, I went back to the Fellowship of the Ring well, and I chose Legolas's oh. bow. Oh um, God. I know. <laughs> That's so gay. That is so gay. What makes it different from any other bow? Yeah, well, it's just the man firing it. Yeah, well, that, that's you chose problem. Legolas, Dingus. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's actually. What you're yeah, we've got to get away from using the word gay that way. By the way, uh, but uh, yeah, I did basically choose Legolas because when I was thinking about um, when I was thinking about the weapon, uh, it turns out what's cool about it is the way he uses it. So I have to kind of take his skill on as well. I think that, 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 moment, <laughs> that moment at the end, at the end of Fellowship, where he's just using his ranged weapon at close range, uh, um, it, it was it just I love that's one of my favorite moments from 2001 in film when he's just pulling arrows from his his quill and just bam bam bam. Uh, I just love the you know I was thinking of crossbows and I was and I love I love bow and arrows and so yeah Legolas's bow from Fellowship of the Ring. I love the way that works in that film, and, and I would have to actually uh, have him in my back pocket. To use it, I guess. <laughs> so Dingus, a far better bow elf using a bow and arrow, and uh, I'm going to go, I love the Hobbit movies, as you know, but I think a far more badass elf shooting a bow appears in Hawk the Slayer. So, mm. go back. That's, that's, Kelly Wan, do you know Hawk the Slayer? You might no, have. No, uh, but I like bow movies, generally. So Hawk the Slayer is, uh, rats, John Terry, is that the guy from Lost? Plays Jack's father. Is that his name? That's Terry O'Quinn. Oh wait, yeah, Jack Terry. Jack Chuck. <laughs> I want to say John Terry. It's anyway the guy who plays Jack's father in in the in that stupid Lost series. I think he's he's Hawk the Slayer. Uh, Jack Palance is the villain who I think might be his brother. But anyway, there's an elf in it, and the elf shoots a bow. And the way they show that the elf is really good at shooting the bow is they just have the actor, you know, drawing a quill, pulling the, the thing back, shooting it rapid fire. But to make it look really good, I seem to recall, they just cut out frames of the film. So it looks like he's doing it super fast. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's all it takes to make something look good. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But uh, I, like, I like ranged weapons. Um, I just like the idea of that. 
And uh, I'm not when we when I play a shooter, I don't really play a sniper except like in Far Cry 2 or something. But but I do like the idea of ranged weapons and how they work. But what I really like about that moment is how he adapts to using it in, at close range so right. well. And and yeah. so yeah, it is a bit of a cheap because it's not it's not the weapon itself. Because he I only uses just, one arrow too, so in a way, your 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 choice is that arrow he's using because he no, snaps. He, he uses several arrows. Uh, I'm talking about when he's. Uh, I, I forget where he, it's Parth Galen. I'm, I'm I'm not sure where they are at the at the end, right before Boromir's Boromir's horn goes off. But that oh, that sequence where he's just bam, 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 bam. I I freaking love that. Dingus in Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex is given uh, two handheld crossbows that fire. Uh, like exploding bolts, like grenades. Do, so do they fire it from the head of a horse? No, apparently you can't use them mounted on horseback. Uh, mm-hmm. But so you might want to check out that movie if you love ranged weapons. Uh, actually, that's a funny thing. So somebody makes the like I forget who plays his weapon here, but somebody makes weapons for him. So this guy's like, hey, look what I got for you, and he gives him these two little handheld crossbows that fire explosives. And the scene where you see him use them, you know, he shoots a bunch of John Malkovich's toadies, and uh, but then when they're empty. He throws them away. <laughs> he treats them like disposable cameras, which was kind of like, sad. Your buddy, I, makes... I always love that that move in in a movie. Yeah. With, when, okay, my gun's done. I'm just going to toss it. Right. I don't need it anymore. There's no no use for me. Looking for ammo. Yeah. All right, that's not my number one though. I just want to establish. It's uh, like you... stabbing Blackie and running its death and throwing it. Ah, okay, let's not spoil other movies. Uh. All right, my number one, uh, Ding, is you almost spoiled it. I think you were almost going to say it, which is okay, because it would have followed naturally. But it, it, you did make me remember Ninja Assassin. They're like little curved blades on the end of lightweight chains, if I'm not mistaken. Like, isn't that in that trailer? I think so, yeah. Because my number one, it's utterly impractical. And I, whenever I see something like this in a movie, I'm like, that's, there's, that's a stupid weapon to use. Why would you use that? But you have to look really cool. You have to be really graceful. I would love to be able to use... That that ball at the end of a chain from Kill Bill that the Japanese schoolgirl Gogo uses because that I mean good lord what a stupid weapon that if somebody's fighting you just get in close or they mess up your swinging around with a chain mm-hmm. but that scene and people using a weapon like that that scene the Japanese girl is like spinning it around her leg and around her neck and she's like throwing it at Uma Thurman and at one point it it, it pops out these blades um, just as impractical as that is it just makes for some great choreography. And it, it looks really cool when you have something like that. So I can't imagine it would ever be useful, but I'd love to be able to use that metal ball from Kill Bill. She only beats her by uh, with a nail on a board or something. Too. It's really a stupid fight, actually. It's, I don't like Kill Bill at all. And, and that fight is so stupid. Yeah. So uh, Gogo gets knocked in the back of the head by her own ball, which is kind of like a little slapsticky. But then she totally gets Uma Thurman on the ropes. I mean, she's winning this fight by sticking the ball into the wall and having the chain looped around Uma Thurman's neck. And from a distance, she's pulled the chain tight and she's choking Uma Thurman. But Uma Thurman just reaches down and grabs a board with nails in it and smacks her in the head and kills her. It's just one of those stupid, ah, this is the hero. We have to have some magical way for them to quickly dispatch the villain. It's Uh, like in Phantom Menace. Darth Maul just stands there and uh, Obi-Wan does a super jump. Even though... Darth Maul has the high ground, which we learn in Episode 3 is pivotal for Jedi combat. But in Phantom Menace, Darth Maul is the high ground, and he gets cut in half. Tom, explain that to me. You're the Star Wars apologist. Midichlorians. 
lava. Okay. It, it depends on lava. If lava's there, then the high ground matters. If it bends, it's funny. So, Kelly Wan, you must have had uh, plenty of runners-up, it sounds like. What things did not make your top three? Okay, these are ones I didn't think I could do, I could handle, but I wished I was good, like you wished you were good with the ball and chain. Right. Which is Dingus's name for Wendy. Uh, 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 Mel Gibson's gigantic hammer from Braveheart. Remember that thing? Or am I misremembering it? Did I add that in my imagination? Doesn't he have a gigantic-ass hammer, shillelagh, like, like 12 feet? handle that he like hits people in the back with a bunch are you thinking of, of are you thinking of one of the leprechaun movies <laughs> oh. i remember the goofy little hammer that um the dude had in robin hood this year <laughs> all right uh next i had um the death star super laser just to have star wars on the <laughs> but you only use it for really menial things like you shoot like you use it as a fly swatter just to kill one guy or default <laughs> Like to prune shrubs. Okay. And then lastly, did you guys ever see Deadly Prey? No. Okay. Yeah. A guy uh, cuts off a guy's arm with a sword, and then he uses the guy's own arm to beat him to death. So the guy's arm. Because that would be just like a way to really twist the knife. You would really so pwn someone if you did that, yeah. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, why are you hitting yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Dingus, what runners-up did you have? Uh, you bringing up um, Kill Bill's, that, that chain thing, reminded me of this weird, I can't really remember the specific weapon, but it was in Johnny Mnemonic, and this this dude had this some sort of whip weapon like that. So, so I, I know it what was, that is. Uh, it's a Russian guy, right? No, he's an Asian dude, I think. So the uh, giant mnemonic, I believe, is from a William Gibson novel, and I don't know if there's one actually called that. It's actually it's a short story, if I'm not mistaken. Something. He's but, in it for a minute. But William Gibson, a weapon I remember, and I think it might be from Neuromancer, uh, is a guy who has a fake thumb, and the end of the thumb comes off, and it's on a monofilament, which is a, a you know a tiny uh-huh. thin wire that's so thin that it will just cut clean through something. So he ends up taking his thumb off, and then he's got it swinging around like it's the weight at the end of the monofilament that just slices through someone. You know, you just do a quick flick of the wrist, and you behead someone. Is it something like that? Because I haven't seen Johnny Mnemonic. It's very much like that. It, okay. Yeah. You can't they even barely fingers, see it. right? Those whips that you're talking about? If I'm not mistaken, when it's in Neuromancer, it's used to assassinate someone. Uh, it's it's like a weapon that is snuck past security because it's a fake hmm. thumb with a monofilament on it. And uh, that's not they don't pick that up. Not it's you know yeah it's uh it's, it's very. Is there well a guy done. with claws? Is it there's like a dude with claws in that right? <laughs> Johnny Mnemonic, I have not seen it. Uh, no, a Neuromancer. Probably. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of the it's specific. I don't either. Maybe. Uh, um, when it comes to whips, I also I did consider uh, oh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, how co- wow. But it's not so much a weapon as a tool. I mean, he doesn't really use it too much as a weapon. That's true. Yeah, when he has to go for a weapon, he just goes for his revolver. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah his gun that he shoots the other guy with. It's kind of a bad one. <laughs> I, I really like you bringing up that the awesome gun in uh, Aliens, because I thought of the, the minigun... Um, I think Jesse Ventura carries around in Predator. Ah, yes, yes, right. But the one you mentioned easily trumps that. 
Uh, it just has it, it could, because it has this whole mechanism. You put it on the harness; it moves with you. I mean, it's a really great one. And don't, doesn't actually Drake like doesn't a little eyepiece snap down? Like they all have those eyepieces, but I seem to have this sense that the eyepiece is somehow built into that gun that Drake and Vasquez use. I could be mistaken. I might just be conflating it with the way it works in the video games. No, you might be right, actually. Um, I also thought of the the cattle stunner deal from No Country. Uh, I just, oh, yeah. I well, that doesn't... He uses that. <laughs> I think that does more than stun a cow, Dinkus. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I just... I was so confused by that, and, and as you're supposed to be, what is he doing? Yeah. Um, which is the purpose of using a weapon like that, and... I, and uh, uh, I like that a lot. Um, I thought of the carrot and shoot him up for a bit, but I don't really want to use it. <laughs> uh, that's disgusting. <laughs> and then w- when you talked about the blades popping out of the thing in Kill Bill, it also made me think of that that awesome Mason Legion this year. Oh yeah, Kevin Durant's mace. Yeah, <laughs> that's mm. right. That was pretty. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so, so I had a couple things. I'm surprised nobody mentioned Odd Jobs hat from Goldfinger. Ooh, good uh, one. Yeah, because yeah. golden gun. Yeah. Uh, but the thing about the hat is, it's you know, it's a everyday classy looking thing, but you know, it's got that metal brim with the razor uh, edge. It always seems to miss, though. That's why I didn't. Well, it's a, yeah, it doesn't work, it's... and it actually gets him killed. I went and looked yeah. at the, the video on, on YouTube. So it gets thrown into some metal bars and lodges there, and then during the fight, which, God, looks ridiculous. I mean, is that how fight choreography worked back then? <laughs> it's just so terrible. So during the fight, then Odd Job goes, he's, he's knocked down James Bond, and he's going to grab his, his hat from the, where it's lodged in these metal bars, and James Bond sticks uh, an exposed electrical wire onto the bars and shocks Odd Job. So it ends up his hat kills him. But the only thing that, it, as far as I know, I don't know if he assassinate someone with it at one point. He cuts off a statue head. Exactly. It's really it good against statues. Yeah, it's, it's totally yeah. will decapitate the hell out of you. Right. Yeah. If you're not moving and if you're made of stone, you're in trouble. <laughs> Taps into statues' fears of hats. So, yeah, Angelina Jolie, it would be good against her. Oh, that's mean, Dingus. That's really Snap. Snap. Uh, and, and also the thing about the hat is it doesn't come back to you. So one of, I love right. the feral kid's boomerang in Road Warrior because mm-hmm. that's like the hat, but it comes back to you. Uh, and that, you know, that also, that kills, you know, that's that's lethal. It cuts off fingers. We've seen it work. Right? We've seen it work, and you get it back when, after you use it. Uh, you guys did not see Gentleman Broncos, so you're lucky. But in Gentleman, Gentleman Broncos, there's a, a reindeer that shoots rockets out of its butt. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like that? I hated the movie, but uh, it's a notable weapon. I'm not sure I'd want to use it. But Sam you tried to trick me into seeing that movie. I did so not. I've never tried. No, but... There's, yeah, Gentleman Broncos, we should do a podcast of something. You said something. I've spared you guys. We did not cover that. Sneaky. It's got a great credit sequence. I love the opening credits. But Tom, what about the Noonshaw guns in Dune? Were they on your list? Oh, if you remember, they were part of what inspired the list, is I would not want to use those. I might want to use the Gom Jabbar. That's cool. It's a little needle with poison on it. But those terrible sound guns in Dune are, are awful. So I, I have a couple more. Uh, the bicycle pump guns in Munich. Like that's that's a really chilly ah. effect scene. Oh yeah, yeah. With the woman with the secret mm-hmm. guns that they make out of uh, bicycle tire pumps. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, this is not really a weapon, but I love how it becomes a weapon. The magazine in Born Identity, or is it Supremacy? What's the one where he kills somebody with a magazine? Is it, you guys know what it, I'm talking about? 
It's supremacy. Okay, yeah. Where he fights with the magazine. Oh, oh, actually, I'm thinking now, of course, in, in uh, Alien uh, yeah. magazine. <laughs> Jesus, wow. Yeah. But, but the magazine in Born Supremacy, you know, he fights him with it, and then he puts it in the toaster, and it ends up, I guess, killing the guy when the house explodes. Mm. What's the magazine? I don't know. I would like to know that. I wonder if that's on the commentary track. What's the one in Alien? Well, in Alien, Ash... Popular but he rolls up. It might just be paper, or I. It, no, I, it's, it's a magazine. magazine. It's yeah. got like a spine. Yeah. Unlike an alien. Well, the thing is, on those trips, like the, all those magazines, you know, they can't get mail when they're out on those runs, so they've got to be dated. You know, <laughs> it's got to be like right. stuck in an, in a doctor's yeah. waiting room or something with old magazines. It's probably highlights. <laughs> From '84. And then nice. finally, my last one. I don't know that you could call this a weapon. Yeah, it's got to be a weapon. The uh, brain, the head exploding ability, and scanners. <laughs> so the weapon is telekinetic. So the weapon is the, tendrils. Yeah, I think it's like you have to. You have a pretty it like veins come out of your arm. Yeah, that's your weapon. So I'd love to be able to use that, but that's uh, a runner. yeah. That you know what? It, it feels like it's working on me a lot. It's like I'm doing it to myself. <laughs> you, need to, you need to aim that, Kelly Wan. It's a suicide method, yeah. Uh, I think, Kelly Wan, they have safety training classes for, for that. You should probably take one of those. Uh, we talking about <laughs> same thing? We're talking about scanners still? Uh, Alright, so there we go. So, Kelly Wan, you have to give us our 3x3 three three for next week. What's it going to be? Oh, I'm so excited about this. It's uh, the three best boobs. Wait. Six best boobs. Isn't that us? Oh, right. Okay. Okay, so scratch that. Okay. This one's for Tom. Three best sporting event competitions in movie history. And, like, gunfight duels, like, quick in the dead count, but it has to be, like, a, like, something you could bet on the outcome of. And there's cheerleaders. Those are the only prerequisites. And go. Questions? Okay, we're good. There you go. Write it down. All right. Three best sporting event competitions in movie history, including gunfights? Yeah. There okay. have to be rounds and playoffs and regular seasons and mascots and points and no ties and an overtime. So nobody can wear a tie. Right. And it can't be to the death. And there has to be at least one ball involved. So Hitler counts. <laughs> but seriously. Uh, that's it. Tom, you're awful quiet. You <laughs> All right, no, I, I'm, I'm just, uh, I think I've got my list ready. I'm, I'm good to go. All right. Uh, Jordan, be, are you sure it can't be to the death? Oh, no, I was just kidding about that. Okay, good. Everything after boobs was a joke. <laughs> All right, so join us next week. Our 3x3 three three will be the three best sporting event competitions, including gunfights from Quick and the Dead. Uh, we will not be seeing a movie next week, I'm afraid. Instead, Yay. we will be here next week with our, uh, each of us will have our top ten for the year. Uh, we'll be laying those out and discussing them and then doing uh, the three-by-three. Three. So uh, join us for that. We will be spoiler-free also. What we talk about will uh, not ruin movies for you. So what? if you haven't seen any movies this year, you can listen to next week's. Hmm. All right, I am Tom Chick. I'm joined by Christian McClarkson, I think. Is that right? You've come so far in the year. I'm really proud of you. It's Christian Morosky. Oh, so close. And uh, Kelly Wand. Best weapon, basic instinct, Sharon Stone's vagina.
Also, best weapon uh, in the Final Destination movies, Teenage Retardation.